Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Do you think God delights in the death of the wicked? He doesn't. Do you think he enjoys that time? No, he doesn't. But just as much as God is holy, and just as much as God is a God of love, he's also a God who hates sin. And there will be no rescuing a heart that is completely bent on hating God. Until you take your last breath, you have an opportunity to come to Christ. But after you make that final breath, there is no hope for you. And it's not because God is mean. God hates sin. Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Pastor Rob continues our study into the instruction to the Jewish nation prior to entering the promised land. God emphasizes his hate for sin by his judgments, and Pastor Rob tells us that just as much as God is holy and merciful, he is also a just God. He gets no pleasure in judgment on those he loves, but there are those that run away from him and choose to continue on the path of destruction. Lord, thank you for your mercy, righteousness, and Holy Spirit that guides us to do your will instead of ours. Let's follow Pastor Rob with today's lesson. And you shall come to the priests. Notice that. You shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days, and inquire of them notice. They shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment, and you shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful, notice, to do according to all that they order you, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. Now the man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. So you shall put away the evil from Israel, and all the people shall hear and fear. Notice that. Underline that verse. And all the people shall hear and they will fear and no longer act presumptuously. There's a lot for us to learn there, isn't there, in our culture? But let's go back to verse, uh, verse 1. And as we look at this, as we look at the beginning of this chapter again, we're going to see some, some prophetic things, and, and we'll look at those in just a moment. But notice, you shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God a bull or a sheep which has any blemish or defect, for it is an abomination to the Lord. All of the different feasts and all the different um, sacrifices that the children of Israel had to do, God didn't want the leftovers. He didn't want the ones that were sick out in the field that are breathing their last and somehow have got some kind of disease and they're walking around limping because one leg is shriveled up. God says, you keep those for yourselves. Do whatever you want with those. But when you come to me to offer before me, I want the very best. 
the very best, not the leftover, not the thing that's been used up, the lamb or the ram or that ox that is without blemish, without defect. That's what I want. And why? Because he deserves it. (laughs) It's that simple. God deserves the very best from us. And see, if you're like me, much of my life, I've given the Lord the leftovers. I've given him the leftovers. I'll be honest. There's been times where I've given him what's left instead of giving him the first fruits of my strength, of my life, of my time. Why waste any time? Give him the first fruits of your life now. Some people say, well, I'm going to I'm going to work my job at, uh, at this company and I'm going to make my money and then I'm going to retire and then, then I'll serve the Lord. I'll get involved in the church. No, you won't. You won't. Because when that time comes, you'll have grandchildren and all of a sudden, you're going to want to take them places, which is very normal and very natural. Nothing wrong with that. There'll always be something that will come up between you and God. Purpose now to do, give your life to him now, whatever way you can. Start now. Baby steps are okay. You don't have to make these grandiose plans where, you know, I'm going to quit my job tomorrow and do, you know, whatever. No, you don't have to do that. Be where you're planted and and serve the Lord in your job. When you're able, share the truth with other people. They need to know it. All these people that you're, you're going to work and you're seeing all these people, I think it's fair to say and probably accurate that most of them don't even know Christ, don't even care to know God. Many of them, their hearts are so hardened that you even mention the name of Jesus and they're going to get upset with you. Make sure you do it on your lunch hour. Make sure you do it in the parking lot before work or after work. Or if they ask you a direct question, bring the light into the situation. Bring the word of God into the situation. It's very easy to do. It's not hard to do. But do that. But God wants the very best. And the Lord wanted to make sure that they sacrificed the best. And this, is, this challenges us concerning who God is, because is he worth it? Is he worth it? That's a challenge, because we have to answer that question. What is God worth to me? If he really did die on the cross for me, then what is he worth? Let me tell you at least what he's worth. I want you to think about what your life would be like if he, you hadn't given your heart to him. Now, I don't need a show of hands, but if you know you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about because you know that your eternity is set. Even with all your mistakes and all your sin, God is working in your life. But if you don't know Christ, the eternity, the, the eternal reward for rejecting Christ is an eternity separated into a lake of fire that wasn't even created for people. It was created for the devil and his angels. There's verses in Revelation we could go to that talk about that. It wasn't created for you and me. It was created for them. But ultimately, that's where anyone who rejects Christ, that's ultimately the, the, the place that they're going to be. Do you understand? That's, that's hell. And it never ends. And it's not a big party. You're not going to find your friends there partying. They're going to be in so much torment, and they'll have bodies, resurrected bodies, that will be able to withstand the flames of hell forever, for eternity. It'll never end. Think about it. It'll never end. And if that offends you, that's okay. It ought to offend you if you're not a Christian. But there's no good work that you can do 
that can secure you from that place except giving your heart to Christ and receiving the Spirit of God. Say, God, forgive me. Come into my life. Forgive me and cleanse me, Lord. Make me holy. Invade this vessel completely. Consume me, God. I'll never forget when I did that when I was 24. I knew I was born again. I knew I was saved. I knew I was never going to see hell again. I would never see it, not because of any work that I did, but I knew that he did the work for me and my faith in him, that he even gave me the, the faith to believe in him. He did all the work. Now I get to respond back and, and honor him, hopefully, in everything. But notice, no, no defect, no blemish. God wants the best. And as a result of this, we learn to trust him, don't we? We learn to have faith in God. And it keeps us from being greedy and self-focused because if you're like most people, the more people gain, the more they want to hang on to. They want to hang on to it. That's like Gollum in the ring. I won't do the voice. I'm very tempted to do it because I can do the voice really well. At least I think I can because I practice in front of the mirror 10 hours a day. But... um no, it's like that. He, he just wants it so bad, and, and I just can't give it up. I can't give it up. Whatever it is that you can't give up is an idol. Not that God requires you to give it up, but are you willing to give it up? If he asks you, if he put his finger on it and says, you know what, this thing is creating a problem in your life. It's creating a problem between you and me. I want you to sell it. I want you to give it away. I want you to do something with it. But I, I don't want it in your life because it's destroying this relationship between you and me. You love that thing more than you love me. And again, God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He chooses to love us. He loves us because he created us. He wants to have fellowship with us. But he was perfectly fine before day one of creation. <laughs> it wasn't like God was up there twiddling his thumbs. He's perfect. He's holy. He's always been that way. He doesn't need anything. He could have just been very content doing nothing, creating nothing. But isn't it true there's something so wonderful when God can create something and give them the free choice, the choice to make a decision? And then when that person makes a choice to follow him, isn't that what love is all about? Love is a choice. It always has to be a choice. If you're married this evening, you know when you asked your, guys, when you asked your fiancé to marry you many years ago, whenever that was, and she said, I do, and she looked you in right in the eyes, she had a big tear and a smile on her face. That feeling that you experience right there is inescapable. It's, un- it's just amazing. Think of how God felt when every sinner comes to him. I can only imagine Verse 2, if there is found among you within any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, a man or a woman who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God and transgressing his covenant, who has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or the moon or any of the host of heaven, and they did, the, 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 the pagan worshippers, they worship everything, the host of heaven, the moon and the stars and uh, the constellations. They, uh, man, instead of looking up and seeing the, the, the glory of God, they decided that, well, we'll worship it instead of worshiping the one who created it. It's kind of backwards, isn't it? How great can a thing be that you see with your naked eyes in this world? How great can anything be? Take the greatest thing. What is the greatest thing to you? If God was to say, you know, you can have anything you want, anything you want. Do you want all the money in the world? Do you want to win the Powerball? Do you want that $1.5 billion? 
Do you want that $750 million after taxes? Is that what you want? It's yours. Is that what you want? Or would you rather have the one who created the very material that that thing's printed on? Nothing. It's the, the paper means nothing. It's all going to burn one day. But who's after that? Think of the most glorious thing, most beautiful thing, and to think, if that is a reflection of the character of God, the, be- the most beautiful sunset in Hawaii, sitting on the beach in 75-degree weather in a light breeze, not a cloud in the sky, palm fronds are gently blowing, iced tea in your hand. That sounds pretty good. It's going to put me to sleep. No. Think about that. Think of the beauty of that and to think the God who created all that, who allowed you for that moment to witness that, is so much farther beyond anything that you could possibly take in with your eyes and your ears, infinitely beyond anything you could imagine. Let your heart get carried away because that's where your worship begins. When you can get carried away with the glory of God, think about that. Think about the most beautiful thing and then think, God, you must be so much more beautiful and so much better than that. And to think one day you're going to stand in his presence. I just love that. That's enough to get you dancing. Amen? So let's do it. No, (laughs) just kidding. So he says then, verse 5, Oh, I'm sorry. Let's go back to um, verse 4. And if it's told you that somebody, this man or woman, is doing these things and you hear of it, notice, you shall inquire diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination has been committed in Israel, then you shall bring out to the gates that man or that woman who has committed that wicked thing, and you shall stone that to death, that man or that woman with stones. And uh, we looked at this in Deuteronomy chapter 13 about false prophets and dreamer of dreams. We looked at that uh, several weeks ago when we were in Deuteronomy 13, and we don't need to go back there. But stoning for the Jew was their form of capital punishment, and God initiated that judgment. He initiated capital punishment. And why did he do that? Was it because that he's just a mean God and just hateful? No, he's not. He knew that there needed to be a deterrent from sin. He knew there needed to be a deterrent. Crucifixion wasn't invented yet. That was invented by the Persians, and then it was mastered by the Romans. They mastered the art of crucifixion, the most cruel way to die. And it's interesting that one of the the last judgment, actually in the book of Revelation, during the great tribulation period, there were... There were seal judgments, and then uh, trumpet judgments, and then uh, bowl judgments. And the very last bowl judgment, the seventh one, is recorded for us in Revelation 16, beginning in verse 17. It says this. It says, Then the angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. So this is going to be an earthquake that's yet in the future that is literally going to shake everything. It says, Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Notice, then every island fled away. Say goodbye to Hawaii. Say goodbye to Fiji. Say goodbye to Kilimanjaro. Say goodbye to Mount Everest. Every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Notice verse 21, And great hail from heaven fell upon men. The very last judgment. 
Each hailstone about the weight of a talent, about 100 pounds, rocks falling from heaven upon the earth. Men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. And even God, in the very last, he's using this uh, form of punishment, really, this uh, capital punishment upon the earth, using hail from heaven, about a hundred pound weight. Can you imagine? Do you think God delights in the death of the wicked? He doesn't. Do you think he enjoys that time? No, he doesn't. But just as much as God is holy, and just as much as God is a God of love, he's also a God who hates sin. And there will be no rescuing a heart that is completely bent on hating God. Until you take your last breath, you have an opportunity to come to Christ. But after you make that final breath, there is no hope for you. And it's not because God is mean. I know in my own life, he's made so many opportunities in my life as a young person. I remember some of them, people coming up to me, telling me about Jesus Christ. Didn't want anything to do with it. (laughs) I was just a punk. Long-haired, guitar-playing punk. I was. You should see the pictures. Hmm. Anyway, verse 6, Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. Notice the safeguard in that. What a wonderful provision God has made. It is a safeguard because if one person can, can say something evil about another person and that person deserves death, think of how many less people there'd be in the, on the planet. But it take, when, when two or three people can conspire together with good conscience, most, more often than not, they, they fall apart. Their witness falls apart because they can't come to agreement. Their agreement, they, they have to be eyewitnesses. All right? They have to be eyewitnesses or they have to come against the, the one party, two or three of them. And even in our own justice system here in the United States is based upon this idea. When you go before, when you get jury duty, when you get jury duty, that's what you're going. You're sitting in on a jury. You are a witness to the evidence that's being presented to you. And if it's a murder trial, then it, the, the ante gets, gets turned up a little bit. And now they've got a, a whole bench of 15, 20 people in the room, and they have to come to a unanimous decision about the death penalty if your state uh, is a proponent of the death penalty. In fact, of our 50 states, 30 of the U.S. states have the death penalty, and 28 of those provide the sentence to be decided by a jury, and 27 of them require a unanimous sentence. That means if you're in a jury of 15 people, all 15 people have to agree as they adjure and as they look, listen to the facts, as they go into, as they sequester, and they, they go and talk about these things, everyone has to agree on it. Otherwise, it's a mistrial. Isn't that wonderful? Every one of them. In other words, the the evidence should be so overwhelmingly obvious. And God makes sure, and it all starts right back here in Deuteronomy. Make sure. He makes sure, and he puts in those safeguards. But there is a difference between murder and capital punishment or those who fight in combat or war. You remember in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, the Ten Commandments. What does the Ten Commandments say? What is one of them? You shall not murder. You shall not murder. This word literally means in the Hebrew to slay. or It's a premeditative act. You did this to me. 
when I find you, next time I find you, I'm going to take you out, right? That's what we, that's what, usually what murder is, is, is a, a crime of passion. It's either anger or hatred. It's premeditated. It can be accidental, and, but it's to assassinate somebody. And to murder is to premeditate out of anger or hatred. And capital punishment, on the other hand, when they're put to death, that is a punitive measure to slow down the spread of sin. Does that make sense? One is an act of hatred, a premeditative act, and then what God has instituted here, at least for the children of Israel, he doesn't cause us to do this today necessarily, unless it's through a jury trial, a, a fair trial. But there's the sin, and then there's the result, the consequence of sin. And I don't know about you, but as I look around, my, my whole family is in law enforcement. And I grew up in this household. And I, I don't know about you, but I look around, and when, whenever there isn't a deterrent for sin, sin is going to run amok, and it's going to never cease. It only if, if you know that you live in a state that doesn't have the death penalty, there's really nothing that you have to fear. You can almost get away with anything. As long as you don't get caught by the person who you, you know, the, the, person, the family member or something like that. But if you can escape and you can commit your murder, you, can, you might get 20 years in prison. And if you're really good behavior, you might only do 10 of that or 15 of it, and then you're out again. But God says, if you kill somebody, they will be killed as a punitive measure. Why? To put away the sin. And don't you think that if we, again, I'm not going to make a platform here, but I will say this, just when you look at our, our culture and our society, there's very little deterrent anymore. Very little deterrent. Are we surprised with the results? I'm not promoting that we go out and, and, and do these things because God doesn't call us as Christians to do that. Because even somebody on death row has the ability to receive Christ. Did you know that? They actually have the right to have somebody come in and talk to them before they execute them. What a mercy. The person who they killed didn't get that opportunity. The person they killed could probably be in hell, but now you have the opportunity before you die, as a punitive measure, you have the opportunity to come to Christ and go to heaven. It's kind of hard, isn't it? Or those who are in war or combat. You know, my, uh, I know people who have been in wars and they have killed people because they were commanded to. They were uh, commanded to go into certain villages at certain times and different uh, events and, and kill those who were there occupying. And, you know, in Romans 13, you can read it, but, you know, I think that those people, you know, obviously if you, have a, you can ask God to forgive you, and I know he'll forgive you, you know. But there's a difference between killing out of cold blood, premeditated, and the result of that, the, the punitive measure. And I look around and I don't see a whole lot of justice in the world. I'm not saying again, please don't misunderstand me, but I just think our, our country is, we're not giving very much incentive to do the right thing anymore. Verse 7 says, The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people. So you shall put away evil from among you. You know, if you remember, there was when the children of Israel uh, were in Deuteronomy right now, it won't be long after this that they're going to go into the Promised Land. They're going to cross over the Jordan River. And what's the first? You know, here is, here's the Jordan River, and here are the children of Israel standing on the side of it. 
and they're standing on the, in the rivers before them. And we know that they're going to cross that river. And the city right to their right opposite them is Jericho, the high-walled city. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.